From award-winning restaurant industry news to original analysis and reporting you can't get anywhere else, restaurant business memberships provide you with the information you need to future-proof your operation. Subscribe now with code RBPODCAST21 for a free 30-day trial and get the tools you need for growth and success. What can restaurant companies do to keep their top executives? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Helen Lau, the founder and chief executive of ClearPath Solutions, an executive recruiting firm. We have a wide-ranging conversation with Helen, including how she is bringing her company's matchmaking skills to the franchise world and how that will work. It's very similar, in fact, in many respects, to recruiting executives. But we talk extensively about the labor market as it relates to executives who are on the move now after a long hiatus due to the coronavirus. Helena helps explain why, and she talks about why they may jump from one company to the other, and what companies can do to keep this talent on board. Please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Helen Lau. Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on. So why don't we uh, start, tell us a, a little bit of, about yourself and, and your professional background and how you got to where you're at. Well, uh, ClearPath, we like to call it executive matching. Um, we are in year 10. Uh, we lost a year. We feel a little bit like we lost a year, but um, we've actually, my team is across the country. We serve the restaurant industry, consumer, you know, everything from fitness, beauty, wellness in the pet category. Uh, but we really, um, I think, are mostly known in the restaurant space. Um, we work at the vice president and C-level and we're a fully retained firm. But my team's all across the country. Uh, and we, we've been doing this, we've been at it for 10 years um, and just really had the honor of getting to know so many leaders all across the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how has, um, uh, you said you lost a year, how have the last three months been? Are you seeing a lot of movement now? I mean, I, I mean the, the data that I'm seeing generally and anecdotal evidence to me suggests that you, we're seeing a lot more movement uh, these days. I mean, are you seeing that right now? Yeah, Jonathan, the truth is March of last year, unfortunately, I really did lay off my entire team not knowing. I vividly remember March 17th uh, being the day where I wasn't sure if there was going to be a business. Um, The first three months have been on fire, Jonathan. So whatever you're reading or seeing, I can tell you that um, we are busier than we've ever been. Um, In fact, our team continues to grow. Uh, we've actually just seen a lot of people, I think, probably holding off, you know, not knowing what it was going to look like in 2020. Uh, but 21, uh, we've, we're busier in the first half of the year than we actually have been in ClearPath history. Really? In the wow. past 10 years. Do you, is it a, uh, do people, or is it, is it like sort of, I guess, pent up demand to move up into the world? Now they feel, is it uh, they feel that the environment is right now to, to, to take a step or, or why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that there were a lot of people just waiting uncertain of what the future looked like. Um, there's a lot of capital on the sidelines. I think, you know, what we've actually seen too is uh, people are building their teams again, you know, and probably there's a lot of, you know, we're seeing a lot in the marketing and tech space um, where those two, those two disciplines are actually converging a bit. Um, the need for 
technology advancement, um, kind of looking how, at how the business is maybe changing um, as a result of the pandemic, uh, we're seeing a lot, a lot happening in that area. Mm-hmm. We also are seeing actually a lot of development, you know, through franchising, uh, looking for leaders to actually run the business. Um, again, going back to there's a lot of capital sources out there um, and, you know, becoming large scale franchisees for great businesses mm-hmm. um, and they need leaders to run those. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. So there's a little bit to unpack, though. I want to ask you a little bit about the marketing and tech piece. Absolutely. Because that's... Uh... I mean, a obviously, I mean, you you uh, don't need to tell you, but I mean, restaurants have been adding technology like nobody's business, really. I mean, they were doing that before the pandemic, and then it just sort of took off, and everybody's doing it. And and the thing is, the interesting, the the the, the thing they mentioned is that sort of convergence between marketing and technology, because you increasingly can't tell the difference between. Uh, a CIO and a CMO. I mean, I know obviously there are differences, but man, those they have to 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 work together. Is that are you seeing a lot of that right now? Absolutely. We're in fact we're actually like working with our clients to really understand. You know, if they're looking for a CMO, you always hear um, that there's a tech side to it as well, like understanding really just technology um, and how do we use you know, guest data, like how do we take that information, analytics. So I think that that marketing role beyond branding has really become, it's almost like I'm watching those two um, disciplines collide. And, you know, so it's like, does marketing report to, if you do have a CTO or a CIO or vice versa, or are they two actual separate functions? Um, We've actually, we started seeing those trends last year. Mm -hmm. Really? So, and uh, so like, if you're, I guess if you're a, um, uh, you're maybe some, like a marketing executive or somebody who is looking for, you know, to, to move up in that world, I mean, is, is the suggestion that you really need to start making friends with the tech, tech folks, or you have to have that skill set, or what do you need as a marketing person to move up in that particular space? Yeah, you know, and, and it depends on the size of the company, right? And how many resources they have. But honestly, understanding kind of the social digital world is a must. Um, And that wasn't around. I mean, when I think back, uh, it just wasn't around uh, 15 years ago. And so, I mean, how you're reaching guests, consumers, employees um, is, I mean, you you almost have to have to understand that, whether it's you understanding it or surrounding yourself with people who do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So um, you you mentioned uh, you also mentioned franchising and and there's one thing I wanted to ask you about a little bit later but you said a, a, a lot of franchisees are are looking for sort of people to to run their business tell me a little bit about that what's going on yeah we've gotten more calls this year whether it's real estate state developers, you know, that um, are look, you know, they own the land and they're a franchisee of a very specific brand. Um, They want to put their brand, you know, their franchise brands on their land. Uh, We've had everything from Helen, we're going to roll up 40 units of name the brand, you know, Um, and we're actually, you know, needing a leader to actually run that brand. And it's much more than just one leader, right? I mean, yes, you need a person coming in as a president, a CEO, but then there's all these other positions um, that are required actually to run a 40 unit chain in a very specific geography. So we're getting a lot of those calls, which is very interesting. Um, you know, we had less of those before. It was more traditional. Hey, we're looking for a CMO for our corporate company. Um, and then this is what 
it's part of our existing structure. Um, we're just seeing things that are a little bit more unique, people adding to their portfolios. And these are very sophisticated franchisees that have a lot of capital, um, but they don't necessarily want to run a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I uh, so I'd imagine that uh, one or two of your clients probably listen to this podcast on occasion. Um, and so like, if you're, if I'm, I guess if I'm an executive and I really don't want to lose my top talent, um, to, to another company, what are your, what are your recommendations, you know, in a time like this, because obviously that's probably a big, big concern for, for, again, for, for a lot of companies, how do you make sure that, uh, they don't get swiped? Yeah. You know, honestly, it goes back to culture. I mean, there, there is no, it almost sounds like, gosh, it's so simple and so cliche, um, the companies that have strong leaders that build a strong culture that honestly make their teams feel as if they're aligned and, you know, that everybody is aligned and they're valued. Um, you can't touch those people. I mean, you really can't. I mean, I've become very good friends uh, with a lot of those executives, just getting to know them and why they stay where they are. Um, and hats off to those leaders. I mean, honestly, it's just a great brand, um, great vision, and honestly, great execution. And that takes every member of the team. Uh, I'm sure when I say this, there's all kinds of, there's leaders that probably pop up in people's minds, but it's true. You're not going to be able to hire those people away. Um, they're very happy where they are. They get taken care of and they know where they're headed. So. Right. Talk a little bit. Yeah. That's, that seems that's really important. Like it's my, you know, like it's my perception, certainly that like money is important. Obviously people have to, you have to pay your people well. Um, but you know, it's, it's certainly not the only thing. And that there's a lot of elements within, within a person's, you know, day-to-day -day job that, you know, uh, you know, that definitely has some influence. I and mean, you mentioned culture is like super, super important. I mean, obviously if you, you need to have a really good culture to keep your, your people around, but it just seems like, you know, I mean, you, you can't just focus on, you know, on, on the dollar signs on these things that there's a lot of other elements that come into play when you're in, in situations like this. Yeah, I think, you know, when I think about some of the best leaders out there, you know, sometimes it's actually even a great leader. Um, there's a lot of stakeholders, um, Jonathan, it's not just one. And I think that that's where, you know, we call it, we're like, our clients don't hire us to go out and search for the right person. I mean, they are looking for us to make the right match. And so when I say that, it's not just size of company. I mean, when I started thinking about um, our intake and we're learning about a company, I mean, we need to understand, you know, is our, do they have a financial partner? Is it a private equity group? Is this founder led? I mean, there are a thousand questions that we have uh, to make sure that we can understand um, what is going to be the right match for the client. However, on the candidate side, it's the same thing, right? I mean, sometimes people are like, look, cash compensation is the most important thing right now. Like I'm just starting a family. Some other people are like, look, I'm not working for cash comp. I need to know that I'm working with a great brand with an exit that's going to allow me to create some wealth. Those mm -hmm. are two very, very different things. And I think, you know, from the surface, uh, it looks like all brands may look the same um, when in reality, it couldn't be more different right. um, you know, down to even who the capital source is. Mm -hmm. Is that more of a consideration of the financial element, more of a consideration when, when the business is PE owned than, than founder led? Yeah, I, I think there's always this uh, need to understand who the stakeholders are, you know, and like, where's the, 
like, where are we headed? Um, I think that that is absolutely, there's a big, big difference between founder led um, and maybe kind of looking to grow and finding the right financial partner. And then there's also the ones that have the financial partners that are building out like a professional management team. Uh, those are very two, two very different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So um, excellent. So you've now started taking, you've, you've uh, expanded um, lately. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, ClearPath um, Executive Match, we like to call it, has been, I mean, we have been doing this for 10 years. I have this incredible team of talented individuals um, that are, you know, honestly, that value relationships more than anything, whether that be on the client side or with, you know, executive candidates. I've been thinking about this for a long time, Jonathan, and I was like, this is actually, we're in the center of information, like whether we hear it from executives, private equity groups, family offices, and just simply, you know, the friends that we've made in the industry. And as I think about this, one thing I've, I have noticed since the pandemic is people aren't as willing to just pick up and move. Like as an executive, they're a little bit hesitant, right? Like, do I just pick up and move my family to Chicago or Florida or New Orleans or California? It's a tough market. You know, I mean, there are markets to ask somebody to move into California right now has been one of the biggest challenges challenges. And I live here, you know, and I understand why. So um, I started kind of um, having these in-depth conversations with executives that were really almost asking themselves for, you know, and asking me for advice saying, you know, what do I do at, at this point? Do I pick up my family and move? Are they willing to let me work remote? That's been another big shift um, because everybody has been working remote. Um, and typically, you know, you want your entire executive team in the office with you. So I started thinking about like, how does that translate for these executives? Because I'm actually in the center of information and I think I'd want that operator running my company. And if he happens to be in Boston, like what options do you have, right? There's limited options there. And then I started thinking, gosh, they should really bet on themselves. At what point do people start betting on themselves? Mm -hmm. And so I've been having a lot of conversations over the past couple of years. I've actually tested this whole theory that I have that if I put together an all-star team, would we, meaning ClearPath, actually be able to match up great brands with, with the best economics um, that take that and actually match it up with sophisticated franchisees who have a multi-portfolio, multi-brands that are constantly looking to like add to their portfolio. Um, and by the way, if they don't have the leader, that's what we do. We help mm -hmm. them find best-in-class leaders. So all of this really kind of came to a head probably in the during the pandemic. Um, and I have a very good friend, Carolyn Kennedy, and I kind of spent a lot of time talking about this. I then tested it on six different private equity groups. Um, I spoke with a handful of executives saying, do you believe that there's something in here? Um, and so it got, became more and more clear um, especially once I met the current president that I was able to bring on board to join me as a partner and president, uh, Marcy Dubois. She was with Taco Bell for 22 years um, in the franchise development side in the mm -hmm. last six. We met, it's, it's an incredible story how we met, um, but she and I talked about it and I said, I know you're a great golfer, Marcy, but like, I mean, how many days a week can you really play golf? Um, so I convinced her 
that I think we're onto something, Jonathan. And so we have actually launched ClearPath uh, Franchise Match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcy will be the president. We have the ex- executive advisors of Carolyn Kennedy, Madison Job, uh, and we actually believe that we can take on ten concepts, um, ten concepts, and bring it to franchisees that they would not otherwise have access to. And mm-hmm. so it's a very select group uh, of individuals, and as it relates to concepts, we're, we're kind of taking a reverse approach, I think, similar to our search world. Uh, and we believe, you know, we're like matchmakers. Right. So you pick the franchisees and then match them with, is that how that works? No, we're going to pick the brands. You we're pick going to the pick We're going to pick best in class brands with best in class economics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I shared recently, we've taken 12 meetings, Jonathan, and we launched last week. And the reality of it is that we can't take on all brands mm-hmm. because, and, and I used a funny, um, there was one group we spoke to and look, when we shared like how, how our model works, um, Marcy said, oh, you're still smiling. He's like, no, actually, I mean, you guys are top shelf, you know? Mm-hmm. And I go, I think I'm going to take that as a compliment, but mm-hmm. you know, we're actually going to go out and pick the brands with the right economics to actually introduce them to franchisees um, that are looking to bolt brands onto their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And we think that we have something very, very special. Mm-hmm. Right. I'd imagine that you'd probably have a fair amount of demand among brands right now. I mean, franchising seems to be taking off um, based on any, everything I'm seeing. Jonathan, you're 100% right. And even brands, maybe that were not franchising before, are starting to look at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, balance sheets don't look great. Banks aren't like lending as readily as they were um, for restaurant investments. And so we're actually even seeing brands kind of saying, hey, you know, is franchising, should it not be part of our model as we continue to grow? And so we really do believe we have something, we're onto something very special um, Mm -hmm. and the demand is out there. Right, right. Well, that in in the the process of matching franchisees with, with, with franchisors is obvious to me and very underrated element um an extreme to me i mean there needs to be more importance placed upon the franchise selection process and i can tell you that there is a very clear line um separating the best franchise brands from the worst ones and it really does go back to the franchisees they pick if you're not going to be selective in your franchisees you're going to struggle at some point down the line and if you are selective you are going to have an easier time succeeding that's basically just simplicity um and, and to me that that process just needs to be just franchisors need to be more selective and yeah, it, it, you can understand, right, um, Jonathan, why, like, at, initially, um, I see why they get caught, and then they get trapped, you know, um, because they, they do, they're probably not as discerning um, on the front end, because you're just trying to bring in, get your brand out there, and then they get to a point where they're looking, and maybe they've got 40 units and 38 franchisees. I mean, that that is not a recipe that can be, you know, scaled from there, um, at least not successfully. And we've actually heard that in the marketplace. Um, I think one thing I do want to make clear, we, we are not uh, replacing uh, kind of the internal development teams for these companies. We're an accelerator 
um, and we work hand in hand uh, with their existing team because we are not um, actually we don't do FDDs. We're not interested. We just simply are putting great brands in front of franchisees that they would not otherwise get in front of. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, you know, I spoke with one group. I won't say who. And I said, well, you play, you place this ad in Franchise Times. Like, you know, how many franchisees did that result in? Um, you know, what was the cost of that? How many resulted? And then they told me it was 278 leads. And at the end, and I said, well, how many were qualified? And they told me five. Yeah. And I said, well, what did that result in? None. And I said, so when you think about that time, um, I think, this is the value that we bring. If you have a brand um, whose economics work, we'd love to work with your franchise development person um, and actually help them um, set up meetings with individuals that are part of Madison's network, Carolyn's network, Marcy's and mine. And so it's almost like we cut away the noise and hopefully make the right match with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have an interesting group of people with you. I mean, uh, you're, you're not, uh, uh, it's, it's not a bunch of first timers. Uh, yeah, they, they are an all-star team. And I mean, I, I am honored, honestly, I'm honored. People said, how did you get Madison out of retirement? And I was like, no, he's not out of retirement, but, um, you know, I, I was like, I did get Marcy semi out of retirement. Um, but I know we're onto something super special because the demand far exceeded what our expectations would be. Mm -hmm. And so we are in the process of selecting best in class brands that, you know, we're, we're, and we can only handle so many, right? So, um, but I look forward to kind of sharing more about that as we evolve. Mm -hmm. Now, are there typical, are, are there uh, certain types of brands that you're going to be working with, or is it just all boils down to um, the unit economics? You know, I think the unit economics is just like entry into the game because we're not magicians. Mm -hmm. And I said, I go, we are not magicians. Um, we are actually, our hope is that we can pick by category. So whether that is a ice cream brand, a cupcake brand, a burger brand, um, you know, I mean, really kind of looking at the segments, we built out a matrix and we're kind of looking at that. We're in process of doing that, but we have gotten so much inbound request. Um, you know, both Marcy and I, we've been talking to people in London that are bringing brands to the US. Uh, it's just, it's been overwhelming to be honest, Jonathan. And I would tell you that if you ask Marcy, we're in day, this is, we're going into our second week. Um, and we're so pleasantly surprised and we're honestly honored and grateful for it's been so well received. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Is there, um, um, uh, is there, do, do you see uh, a, a wide difference in matchmaking with uh, franchisees and franchisors versus, you know, the matchmaking you do on the executive search side, or are there a lot of similarities between the two? There, there's so much, um, there's so much parallel really. And it really comes down to the relationship. And somebody said to both Marcy and I, we met with an executive last week who said, you know, it really comes down to trust, right? Mm -hmm. And if um, on the search side, um, you know, when, when we're talking to these high level executives, I mean, this is a, a big career move for them. I mean, it is a life changing event when they go from one company to another or even make that consideration. And we always say, look, the client has 10 boxes they want to check. Like we want this, 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 and this. The candidate does too, you know, and, and both of those two 
things actually need to come together and work. Um, and so it's not just because a person is a president here is going to make them a successful president there. It just, it doesn't, if it worked like that, then they wouldn't need us. So there's this human element to that, all of that, um, that needs to come together. And on the franchisee, franchisor side, it's the same thing. Like they're putting money to work. They want to know, and they're willing to look at anything, right? Uh, but sometimes there's only so many hours in the day. And if they know that they're looking to add on a coffee brand, for example, um, look, we're going to be able to bring that to you, you know? And so we're really excited about it, but there's so much similarity, but at the root of it, it really is around relationship and trust. Right, right. Yeah, that's a really important point. So I, I wanted to uh, um, go back to something you said uh, uh, when we're, we're talking about uh, executive search, um, um, which is that you, you said that uh, a lot of people want to work from home. And it one of the interesting things that we've had in recent years, the last couple of years, is we've had like three major brands move headquarters to, to essentially where their CEO lives. Um, which I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I imagine that it happened. I can't remember the last time I've seen something like that happen. Um, and we've had it happen three times really in the last couple of years. And it seems to me like companies seem like when they really have the right person, especially, you know, that they're willing to, I mean, just, I, I mean, I think that's an extreme, you know, moving to California, for instance, from Boulder is a little, or from Denver is, is a little extreme, but it does seem like companies, when they find the right person, are willing to take some real significant steps? Or am I just, or is that my perception? No, actually, it it, it is, um, it does happen. It does happen. Sometimes it is the right move. Denver to California seems like a really great move right now. I mean, I think that there's some dynamics um, around why that happens. And sometimes it is for the leader. Sometimes it is to move into a market where there's going to be a better pool of talent versus if you think about, you know, some more remote areas, it's going to be tougher to source talent because they're not going to want to move there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's all different reasons. Um, but to answer your question, about the remote working, that is a reality. And it's a reality for a lot of people who, you know, we were forced to do that um, through 2020. But with that came, hey, business still happened. Like businesses still ran and people were, you know, working from home. So I think, you know, some people are really eager to get back um, and others are not. And they said, look, you know, I've been doing this for a year and a half from home. If I have to pick up and reload to Chicago, like that's not the right role for me, mm -hmm. um, even if they're the most qualified candidate for the role. So we're seeing a lot more of that. Yeah. It seems like organizations are going to have to deal, I mean, are really facing some real challenges in dealing with that because you still have a lot of executives. I mean, I think this morning, uh, um, Morgan Stanley, CEO, for instance, said that something that if you can live in New York, you should work in New York, you know, something like that. And, and, but, you know, there are a lot of people, a large number of people that have gotten accustomed to working from home. And as someone who's done this now for, I've worked at home for seven years. And, you know, I mean, there are just a lot, it just, you know, I mean, if you can do it, um, there, it just, eases a lot of potential problems that you can have, you know, you could be more productive, you know, you have fewer family conflicts, you know, my wife uh, is a consultant. And so, you know, when I was working out of the office, and we, you know, when one of my kids got sick, we would play all right, whose job is more important that day. Right. Um, right. And, 
you know, so you ease some of those conflicts and things of that nature and, you know, people grow accustomed to it. Again, it's not for everybody and you still need some of that inner office, you know, um, but it, 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 it seems to me like this is a real challenge, I think, for a lot of organizations just to deal with this, you know, issue of how you, you know, people working at home and for, for executives, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's a, a, seems to be a real challenge for a lot of organizations. Yeah, I, I'm actually seeing organizations more flexible, to be honest, yeah. like, and, and sometimes it's for certain roles um, that the person doesn't need to be sitting in the office next to you. Um, I, I am seeing that and I'm seeing a lot more um, where they're asking me that question. I was like, do you want my honest answer or do you like, do you have a thought and you want me to, you know, but it, it really is true that um, not everybody has to be there. Of course, you actually do miss an element of kind of the team and camaraderie, uh, but our business has been remote since I've started the company and mm -hmm. my team all across the country. And, uh, you know, we, we feel like it works, um, but obviously for certain companies, it's not always, it really goes back to what the CEO believes. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Helen, this was awesome. I really appreciate you joining us this week on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Great to see you. And that should do it for this week's episode of a deeper dive, which was edited as always by Kimberly Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Restaurant business members enjoy exclusive benefits from access to unlimited premium content and members-only research from Technomic to monthly recipe demos and private roundtables with restaurant business editors. Subscribe now with code RBPODCAST21 to access your free 30-day trial to unlock industry insights that will move your operation forward.